Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker Podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with friends, family members, watching tennis, specifically the Madrid Open along the way. There's a little bit of tennis news that we can get into uh and just a little bit of news in general we can get into we can discuss the cia recruitment video that they uh, released yesterday and just the backlash with it we can discuss mitt romney getting booed at the gop convention uh and his own, in his home state utah uh we can also discuss the lockdowns that are currently happening in india and canada as well and we can also end with my weekly pick which i'm sure will be a a big surprise for some but uh where we'll start off for today is obviously tennis with the Madrid Open and just the overall matches that were happening, early round matches that were happening. And I didn't really watch that much tennis over the weekend. I was a little bit busy, but uh, one of the matches that I really that I really sat down and watched was Alex Deminar versus Jaume uh, Munar. Hopefully I'm saying uh, Jaume Munar's name correctly, but I watched that match. Had a little bit of time to myself to watch it, and it was a pretty interesting match. Uh, obviously, it's not you know Rublev or Sinner or Sitsipas or the names that you may often hear uh, briefly or extensively mentioned in this podcast. But you know Alex Deminar is one of those individuals that uh, I really respect and admire as a, as a tennis player who can sort of show enough guts and enough fortitude and valor to really hang in the matches and he really exemplified it with this match uh, Alex Deminar won against Jaume Munar 4-6-7-5-6-1 and I'll briefly talk about this match because again it's an early round match and I don't want to put that much stock into it but uh, it was a pretty good match overall for uh, Alex Deminar because of his poor showings at previous tournaments uh, I think at one I think he reached the round of 16 at Barcelona Open and I think that was the match where he lost to Stefano Sitsipas, if my memory serves correct. Uh, but, you know, I'll just go briefly uh, on this match and just certain points that I really enjoyed watching uh, and sequences of events that occurred that uh, really gave the overall edge uh, to Alex Deminar. So, uh, great law by Deminar to get the point early at 3-2, love, love first set obviously uh, after Deminar brought Munar up to the net as Munar volleyed uh, so obviously he brought him up to the net Munar was able to get the volley there uh, De- uh, Deminar was just right at the baseline and just found a huge spot right at his opponent's baseline at Munar's baseline really took advantage of it and you sort of saw like the early seeds as to whether or not Deminar could really win this match was based off those early points that went his way. And again, great volley and drop shot combo by Deminar. The first set 5-3 to make it 40-15. I think, or great shot, yeah. Uh, great shot by Deminar to make it five, uh, first set 5-3, 40-15. And, you know, again, even though he lost the first set, you know, you sort of saw the seeds as to uh, what could happen uh, later in that match. And then... Again, Munar actually had a pretty good match as well for the ranking that he's at. He had he actually had a pretty good match, uh, and it really showed uh, during that first set, uh, especially when it was a, a great backhand down the line for a winner by Munar at five four forty thirty. Um, you know he brought Deminar up 
and Demerar hits this half volley, so he lets the ball bounce before he hits it uh, right near the net. Uh, and Munar just took full advantage of it, and that was sort of the story early on in the match. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, sort of had that competitive advantage for, or that competitive edge for Demonar over Munar was that he was just lights out at the net. Every time Demonar came to the net, more often than not, uh, previous example aside, he actually was successful uh, at securing the point. And, you know, it was 4-3 deuce, Munar with the lead, uh, Demonar hit multiple volleys, and Munar kept hitting at him. You know, not anywhere else but the net, uh, not anywhere else on the court besides right at Demonar. He was just targeting Demonar right in the net, and you know Demonar took this in stride, and it ends with Demonar hitting this unbelievable, unbelievable smash. Gets the uh, first ball bounce, uh, and then just hits this amazing overhead smash uh, for the win. Tide was turning right then and there. And it was 2-1, Demonar led 40-30, both had an extensive rally, uh, back and forth, back and forth, ground strokes by the two of them. Demonar ends point with an overhead smash again, and, you know, again, it's just one of those things where if you're lights out of the net, and if you really establish it, and if you really command yourself, uh, only good things can happen uh, for that match, or for your time on the court, for that matter. And, you know, the match really ended with Munar going to the net and not getting the drop shot, uh, resulting uh, in an unforced error, of course. Uh, or, yeah, I think unforced error. But it was amazing. Uh, I really enjoyed the match. One of the few matches I watched, obviously I'm going to keep track of it uh, later uh, as the Madrid Open, uh, you know, carries on. Um, and obviously Rublev and Sinner are playing tomorrow. Uh, and this sort of, like... You know, now people are discussing, you know, what is the shelf life for Demonar? You know, what can Demonar do to continue this sort of uh, streak where he can be at least in the thick of it? Because in my opinion, I don't really view him as, you know, as an individual that can uh, win a major. I, I just don't see it. Hopefully I'm wrong because I'm very much for, you know, tennis players uh, getting their earnings and getting... Uh, their spotlight and their uh, due time and their uh, accomplishments in, but uh, I just don't really see Demonar uh, competing at that high of a level. Uh, so I don't know. I think he can, as I've said before, I think he can compete. I think he can compete with, you know, other tennis players, but I just don't see him winning a major. I, I if anything, I think Nick Kyrgios has a better chance at winning a major than Demonar has right now. I, I just. And I know that's a lot to say, and I know it's a it's a pretty big prediction to make, but uh, yeah, I, I just I just don't see Alex Demonar uh, really winning a major. I I think the competition is way too is at the same level as him, if not better. And yeah, I just in my heart of hearts, I just don't believe he has that grasp of winning. Uh, hopefully, I'm wrong. I I'm pretty sure I will be, uh, but I. I just didn't, I just can't, especially when you have Rublev, Sitsipas, Verov, Sinner. I, I mean, Sinner, I think, will probably have more majors won than Demonar. Uh, but yeah, I just don't see it. But hopefully he can continue this and uh, be successful uh, in these smaller tournaments. It sort of realize, it makes me realize, like, the French, the, the clay season, like, ends abruptly, like, pretty, like, 
it's it doesn't end as as soon as the grass season because the grass season ends in Wimbledon and that's only like a month away. But the clay season, like even though there's been a lot of tournaments, it feels like it's been like constrained to like less than a month. Uh, it's sort of weird how like time goes by with uh, the progression of these seasons. Uh, but anyways, that's not something that I want to talk about. Uh, and obviously, I'll talk about Rublev in the in the center matches as well. But uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's get into the political societal culture uh, of this podcast. We'll talk more about tennis as the Madrid Open uh, continues uh, later in the week. Uh, I'll talk about it on Thursday. But uh, yeah, a lot of political societal uh, news came up around uh, around the past three, four, five days since I last talked to you guys. One of them uh, was really was when the CIA released a video yesterday uh, where they essentially released a recruitment ad where they had people of all races and all colors uh, say how much they love the CIA and sort of bring out this sort of victimhood identity politics where like some of the quotes were like extremely weird to me where it's like one of them was like I'm a woman of color and she was like happy with like her identity which makes no sense there was another one where it's like I'm a cisgender millennial like I don't think anybody from Gen Z talks like that, at, at, at least in like in a person-to-person setting. I think this is just like all like internet talk to like a piece like the liberals. But uh, one uh, and like the, the the weirdest quote from the CIA video was, "I am intersectional." I'm like, who uses this verbiage in like a cool, calm, relaxed setting, or with? people that they love and admire and like are friends with like nobody uses this lingo uh with people that they like or want to hang out with um and again you know obviously the cia is the cia they are the powers that be obviously uh and glenn glenn greenwald who i respect and admire a lot because he's one of the few journalists we have in america he's technically from he's technically from brazil he lives in brazil but he talks about american politics he's like one of the two journalists that i actually can stomach and actually like the other one's obviously matt taibbi uh but he actually really had a great tweet about this uh in relation to the cia video that they uh uh released which he says uh what this also shows and i'm paraphrasing here i'm i'm basically saying what he tweeted out uh what this also shows is the type of politics fixated on cultural identity poses no threat whatsoever to institutions of authority. To the contrary, they love it. It's easily co-opted, and the liberal obsession with this stuff means they're not focused on how power is wielded. And he is right. You know, he is completely right. You know, ever since, I think it's pretty safe to say that ever since Occupy Wall Street occurred, victimhood, woke ideology has been injected into the mainstream of our culture to really divide and conquer the working class. And there was genuine concern of the movement on the powers that beyond the top 1% and how it could really turn essentially the tide of inequality in America. And one of the even though I, I thought it was ineffectual, you know, they were just in a park, in Zuccotti Park, like saying like uh uh, end the Fed, which I agree with. I think we should like audit and end the Federal Reserve. Uh, maybe audit. I think that's a better way of saying it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I it, one of the things that I realized about, and Dave Smith often pontificates on this, 
Dave Smith, who I, you know, even though he is a libertarian, I often do agree with him more than I disagree with him. Uh, he really says this a lot and really, you know, hammers the point on his podcast, part of the problem with Dave Smith, uh, which I watch on and off. But he, he really says this poignantly where he, he says, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, they have no problem putting their employees through diversity training because that doesn't affect the power structures. They actually welcome it because it actually lets them off the hook. They're like, yeah, we can you know, put them in diversity training. That's not going to change how power is dealt with or uh, how power is shifted. But now if you say we need to audit the Federal Reserve or we need to limit the government in terms of uh, the overall importance of the dollar and, you know, sort of make way for uh, crypto or make way for... uh, you know, this sort of data or, you know, crypto mining that's currently happening, then they're all in a frenzy. Or if you want to buy a stock that is being heavily shorted, like the Robin Hood drama that happened in, in January, then it's the end of the world for them. And, you know, they want to have that power so they can turn off uh, stock uh, trading for a day or so so they can actually make their advances back or make their gains back or their losses back. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's very interesting to see the overall, (laughs) just the overall, like, continuation, or not even continuation, but just the overall, like, in-your-face wokeism has been interjected in our sort of political atmosphere and in our political discussions because it doesn't really discuss about policy issues that can alleviate the working class. You know, it's more of a cultural war issue that doesn't nothing that does nobody any favors, really. Um, You know, and, you know, even if you like talk about like auditing the Federal Reserve, then you'll just get blackballed from like the media because, again, it it is the single power structure that affects everybody, uh, in particular working class individuals that don't really understand uh, just how critical or just how effective quantitative easing has been uh, in terms of the way our money has been dealt. And if you do discuss it, then you will probably be blackballed from like like Tulsi Gabbard or uh, like Ron Paul in his 2012 campaign. Now I'm, I'm getting everywhere. Like, and I know this is sort of like a, like a, a topic that, you know, it isn't, isn't often discussed, but like, yeah, I mean, the CIA is like, I have no problem, as JFK said, like, I have no problem, you know, turning the CIA into, like, a billion pieces or or destroying the CIA into a billion pieces because the CIA is the main reason why we've been in all these wars, why we've had all these regime change overseas, uh, why we have to spread democracy, whatever it is, whatever that is. It's it's really bad. And what I realized with that tweet from the CIA is that it's very hard to distinct between a tweet from the CIA versus a tweet from AOC. It sounds a lot similar. AOC sounds a lot like the CIA. I mean, they they really do. The, both of them, and I'm sure, like, I'm sure she's one of them. I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure she is. But, uh, yeah, that's not good whatsoever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll stop while, while I'm ahead, you know. So, anyways. So yeah, CIA, uh, they released that video, 
Uh, oh, I forgot to mention in terms of tennis news. Uh, congratulations to Naomi Osaka on becoming the co-chair of this year's Met Gala. She's uh, being a co-chair alongside Billie Eilish, Amanda Gorman, Timothy Chalamet, so props to her on that. Um, I'm sure Serena Williams is pissed about this news. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if she's if she was mad about the U.S. Open final, then just ima- just imagine how mad she is. Even though she's married to like the CEO of Reddit, and has been to the Met Gala many times, uh, I think uh, what's her name, the person that runs the Met Gala. I think she was also in uh, that movie with Anne, Anne Hathaway, The Devil Wears Prada, Anna Wintour. I, I forgot. I almost forgot her name. I think she's like a big fan of tennis. Uh, she lo- she loves Roger Federer. Uh, she's been to like most of Roger Federer's matches as well as uh, Serena's matches, especially late in the U.S. Open. During the final, I'm pretty sure she often goes to those matches. But uh, yeah, good for good for Naomi Osaka, you know. So, anyways, uh, let's get into uh, Mitt Romney, which is a name you probably haven't heard of since like 2012. But uh, uh, Mitt Romney last Saturday got booed at the state convention or at the GOP convention that's held in a state, uh, Utah. Uh, he got several chants thrown his way while he was giving a speech called uh, he was uh, called a communist, called a traitor uh, for not following Trump's stop the steel grip. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I thought Utah really liked Mitt Romney. Like, you know, they're both Mormon. I saw like a tweet of Mitt Romney where he celebrated his birthday with like a Twinkie cake because like apparently like in Mormonism, uh, they don't drink or smoke or even like consume alcohol, uh, like caffeine for that matter. It's a very strict religion. Uh, but I, I was sort of surprised because he's Mormon, the state's Mormon. Like, shouldn't you like support him? And you know, obviously, uh, you know, for me, like, I'm not a big fan of Romney. Like, I don't, I don't really know where I align myself politically. Like, on one hand, I'm like socially semi-conservative or socially conservative on the other like i'm for universal healthcare, so like i really don't know where uh, i stand politically uh but what i do know is that uh i do like his importance in his uh and i do like his continual continued approach of the of the child tax bill i think that's great to hear i think you know at this point where everybody's in lockdown i think a child tax credit is needed uh but yeah Going back to 2012, Obama killed him in that 2012 election. Like he, he like Obama, really, really uh, annihilated him. Like at many turns. One of them, uh, one of the reasons why he lost in 2012 was because Obama exposed uh, his ties to Blackstone, which is a group that often funds political candidates. And I'm sure Obama has received some money from maybe not Blackstone, but from other. Uh, special interest but he really tied him down to uh, that as well uh, as well as you know just going after Romney for being like a rich smug individual venture capitalist individual uh, who is for like free trade and outsourcing manufacturing jobs overseas even though Obama continued George Bush's policies on that Uh, but again it's all about marketing and messaging your idea uh, to the masses and he really uh, beat a Mitt Romney in those debates, especially those debates. I remember in the uh, 
what was it? I think it was like in the foreign policy debate where uh, he basically told uh, Mitt Romney, uh, the 80s called, they want their foreign policy back in response to uh, Mitt Romney's insistence on a cold war with Russia. And it's sort of weird how the mainstream media works because like eight years ago, they were all for Barack Obama saying that, oh, they, let's not have war uh, with Russia. And now six, seven years later, it's like, oh, the Russia stole the 2016 election. Oh, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, you know, is uh, is having Russian bounties, you know, <laughs> on, on American soldiers. It, it's sort of weird how time works out. And just how partisan uh, most of these people in power are, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't I don't know why uh, Mitt Romney got booed. If if you're gonna boo Mitt Romney, go after him for like I don't know having pro-interventionist wars. You know, like if it's sort of weird how like somebody could be like pro-life and then also be for pro-regime change and pro, you know american intervention in these countries like it's sort of weird how that plays out but uh anyways and it's sort of weird how you know on the, on the left side you know vegans or vegetarians who are for like you know who are for the complete abandonment of the non-aggression principle you know it's, it's sort of weird how you like i don't know uh, is i've seen the hypocrisy on hypocrisies on both sides of the aisle uh for a long time and i just wanted to at least like bring light to it you know uh anyways i feel like i've talked enough about uh mitt romney but uh anyways let's get into the lockdown so india has been under lockdown for like i'm sure like a month or so uh maybe even more uh so prayers to all those affected in india due to the coronavirus pandemic uh i'm pretty sure we've we gave away our uh, vaccine patent uh so that's great to hear we should not have been hoarding it for so long um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say. I mean, screw Bill, Bill Gates for defending America's decision on the vaccine patent. You know, it's, it's really sad. And I do have a few listeners from India, especially from Northern India. Um, you know, Lucknow, uh, Uttar Pradesh, you know, it just stinks, man. You know, it really does. I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have family members, uh, who have been affected by it, and, you know, I just thought I should at least, like, talk about it for a little bit, because, you know, it, it really stinks how, you know, India and America are these close allies, but for some reason, you know, we've we've completely abandoned uh, their interest in, you know, helping uh, restore these relations so that we can uh, go back to normal, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to discuss it, but, uh I mean, the numbers are always high. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The numbers are always high. India has one of the biggest populations in America. Uh, but again, you know, there is some variant going on uh, going on right now uh, that is taking out people left and right. You know, I mean, there are like bodies everywhere, you know, and, you know, Biden is now uh, restricting travel uh, to India. And, you know, a lot of people are against it, saying it's xenophobic. Some people are for it saying that it's uh, helped stop the spread. Uh, and it's a very tricky situation to be in, you know. On one hand, like, I understand where uh, the, uh, you can't do it, it's, it, it's xenophobic crowd is where they're, where they're at. I don't necessarily agree with it. 
uh, in in my opinion, I sort of view it like as like a restriction on our liberties and our civil liberties, and you know. But on the other hand, you know, I I, I understand where you know the crowd is saying, hey, we need to restrict travel to stop the spread. You know, I mean, I understand where both sides are coming from. Uh, thankfully, I'm not in that position to dictate uh, the overall day-to-day decisions of Americans. Thankfully, I'm not. But uh, yeah. Anyway, it was really, it was you know one of the things that I realized about this pandemic, and just going off the Indian lockdown is just seeing like celebrities, you know, saying one thing, but doing the entirely different thing. Like I saw Bollywood celebs going to the Maldives. Uh, while telling people to stay inside, and I just thought that was hilarious to see to see uh, you know people within Bollywood just get egg on their face because let's face it you know they just they regurgitate people's other people's lines for a living you know I mean not to go after too much on Bollywood I mean it's it's basically shooting fish in a barrel at this point but uh, it's it's hilarious to see it in real time. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were paid to go to Maldives, and I, I'm pretty sure they were trying to get their money back from the money they lost uh, because of the fact they weren't able to show movies in cinemas over the past year, so I'm pretty sure they had to do it uh, for the paycheck because I don't think these celebs want to admit that they, also, they too also uh, maybe live on, uh, maybe not on a, on a month-to-month basis, but they're definitely... Uh, they definitely lost a money, a lot of money due to this pandemic. Uh, so I think that's the main reason why they went to the Maldives was just to, uh, for some promotional pictures, and uh, you know that I'm pretty sure that's the main reason why. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Oh, the Canada lockdowns. Okay. Actually, you know what? I'll I'll talk more about the uh, India lockdowns. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things that I realized about this pandemic uh, is that it's exposed not only problems within our medical field, but just economically, economically as well. And I think that you know, in America, at least, at least in, where I'm from, Massachusetts. Uh, they should probably lift the lockdowns or at least like make sure the lockdowns aren't set at August 1st in the state and August 22nd in the city of Boston because a lot of service workers are hurting, man, and a lot of small businesses are hurting. You know, people like to chalk it up to Black Lives Matter and, you know, how they burned down and uh, rioted, looted stores, and obviously that, that doesn't help anybody. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily, I'm not for it at all. Uh, but come on, it's not kids that ruin small businesses. It's the lockdowns. The lockdowns had a far more drastic effect on the destruction of small businesses as opposed to Black Lives Matter. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm against the rioting and looting, but you can't just lock people at, in their home for two months, three months and not expect some sort of economic repercussions for it. Especially when he passed the CARES Act, which was essentially just a complete handout to the rich while the poor just got breadcrumbs, essentially. They, they basically got croutons. You know, and I like croutons. You know, the croutons are great on a salad. 
but you just gave them croutons. You didn't give them any substance or any sort of uh, significant uh, input into uh, their livelihoods. So yeah, I mean, it's a weird place to be at because like, on one hand, like, on one hand, I think what their thoughts were were essentially okay, but I mean, they done they've done nothing uh, for working class people. America, that is. I, I'm not so sure about India. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's worse. Maybe they got a stimulus. I'm not so sure. Uh, but even a stimulus has a price. You know, I mean, the Federal Reserve has been, and not to sound too libertarian here, but because I have been for like the past, like, ever since I started today's podcast, but or this episode, but, you know, just because you print money and inject it into the economy, that's not good. I mean, it's there's, there's a price to it, you know. I mean, we do run on the petrodollar. I mean, we, we we went away from the gold standard and went straight to the petrodollar. So that's not good. You know, it comes at a price sooner sooner than later. But, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I feel like I talked a little bit about India lockdowns, a little bit about America. Now let's get into Canada. Uh, Canada is worse, man. Like, things that are happening in India, I mean, Canada, I think, is a lot worse uh, they are now having illegal search and seizures where anybody who leaves their house gets stopped the po- by the police and the police ask them where they are and why they're outside. I mean, they're compl- they're in complete lockdown, like complete lockdown. And it stinks for them because they only have like two full months for the summer. You know, it's not like they have the best weather in Canada. You know, I mean... I mean, it's, again, not many many people are talking about this, but the cascading effect of the lockdowns have essentially exacerbated mental illness, drug addiction, opioid abuse, alcoholism. And I think that the effects of the lockdowns are going to do far more damage than COVID. You know, I mean, yeah, it's easy to say that. Uh, It's easy to say, oh, we need to, you know, mask up and whatnot. And, uh, you know, if you have to mask up, then I, I suggest you do but uh i i don't know i i think that the lockdowns in and of itself have been the death sentence for many middle class americans you know for many individuals that rely on service on the service industry for those that you know rely on you know just getting by each and every month you know i mean i was talking to a friend uh, a good friend of mine shivam uh not gonna name his last name because why would i do that but uh uh, he's there in uh, Saskatchewan, and I mean, he's pers- personally affected by it, you know, and he's in S- Saskatchewan, like, that's not even populated, you know, compared to uh, cities such as New York City or uh, LA, but if he's affected by it, then just imagine what it's like in the six, you know, don't worry, I wanted to, I wanted to, like, shoot myself as soon as I said the six, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Canada's filled with cucks, so they aren't protesting. They they aren't really protesting this uh, lockdown, which they should. I think I think you need a little bit of pro, uh, protesting against these lockdowns. But I mean, all they really want is some form of normalcy, just some form of normalcy, like just just lift some restrictions. And he was talking about this era as well, uh, Shivam, where he's like, you know, I just want to see people that I love. You know, <laughs> like like. If you want to, like, still have some form of lockdown, then I'm for... And this is his words, not my words, but uh, uh, if if you, 
you know, if, if you want to restrict some form of lockdown, then that's great. But I just want to see people that I love and uh, people that I'm uh, closely aligned with. You know, I mean, his family members have, uh, you know, not had a, a, or just people in Canada for that matter. I mean, they haven't really uh, had the best year so far, you know, and especially Justin Trudeau. I mean, Justin Trudeau just passed like a bill up in Canada where they want state sponsored television, sh television shows like that's like horrible. I mean, just imagine if that happened in America, like imagine if the CIA going back to the CIA, just imagine if they talked about Martin Luther King, but forgot all about his advocacy for a non-intervention with Vietnam or, ha or not having a hot war with, with Vietnam. Just kidding, they already do. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, they completely leave that part out, especially in shows and television that I often see with uh, MLK, but uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Canada lockdowns are really bad, man. Like, I, I, I can't even fathom, like, what they're going through. I really can't. And that's one of the reasons why, I mean, I don't think the lockdowns have been effective. You know, I mean, I think if the lockdowns had to... If the lockdowns were effective, two things would happen. One, they would go after immigration and have a border wall. And B, they would have to have, like, a, tot a, a complete totalitarian state. Now, am I... Do I agree with those two? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, somewhat on immigration. I mean, I think a border wall is actually kind of lit. You know, I mean, I think having borders around, both around like Mexico and Canada is actually a pretty good idea. And again, like, it's not because I'm pro-wall or it's not because I'm anti-immigrant. It's just because I'm pro-wall. That's a bit. That, that's comedy. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just spitballing here. I don't actually mean that, but like, uh, it, I mean, it's just comedy. Like, it's a comedy. It's a comedy podcast. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the lockdowns have been interesting to say the least. You know, because as I've said before, the cascading effect of these lockdowns are way worse than COVID. They're way, way worse. And I think if our health officials were a little bit more honest with the COVID. With uh, with COVID, I think it would be uh, it would make all the difference. You know, I think if early in the pandemic they sort of advocated for a healthy eating lifestyle, if they advocated for people taking their vitamins, uh, while it may not you know uh, you know get rid of COVID, I think it would minimize the effect of COVID on many people. You know, many people uh, the food and drug uh, industry does not want to admit that those uh, that are suffering with severe effects of covid are, are those with comorbidities and those who aren't necessarily the most fit you know so I, i'm i'm in support with anybody uh who wants to advocate for a healthy eating lifestyle i mean you should so i mean the fact that you know fauci and those in power don't often discuss it i uh, i mean that's just basic human decency i mean you should at least like discuss it you know at least like advocate for people having a healthy eating lifestyle you know and it makes no sense to close gyms during a lockdown. Like, you should be for having gyms open during a reasonable time. You know, like, anyways. Let's go into my weekly pick. So every Tuesday, I recommend a book, uh, a film, a piece of art that I find interesting and enjoyable and that I want people to uh, uh, get into as well. 
so for today's weekly pick or for this week's weekly pick, I'll be uh, recommending DJ Khaled's Khaled Khaled. That's not that album. That album is trash. <laughs> like it's horrible. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's it's horrible. It's uh, I mean it, it's really really bad. In fact, I I want to dedicate this segment to an album that I really really hate, uh, which is DJ Khaled's Khaled Khaled, which is one of the worst albums I may have ever heard in the past year, two years, three years or so. Like it's really bad. I mean I thought Chance the Rapper's album was bad. This album is takes the cake. Uh, because he has all this star potential. I mean, he has like the Migos, Jay Z, Nas, all on this album, and it still stings. Like most of the songs on this album sound like they were like downloaded from YouTube to MP3 converter. Remember those like like sites that you would go on where you could like download a YouTube link and you would have like this sh- like horrible sounding song on your like uh, on your phone. It sounds like that. It's a, it's a YouTube to MP3 converter. The bass is way too boosted. The, the mixing is trash. Most of these, all of these songs are bad besides Popstar. Popstar is actually pretty good with Drake on it. I like that song a lot. Actually, it's like the only okay song on the album. You know, and I was surprised that Khaled could talk more than just We The Best or DJ Khaled. I mean, usually like his mouth is filled with food, you know, and, and his stomach shows for it, you know, but... uh. Yeah, th- this album is really, really bad. It- it's, I mean, <laughs> I can't stress it enough. Like, it's a, <laughs> like, it- it's just, there's just so much star power on it. Justin Bieber is on it for, like, two songs. And, yeah, he's been on a slump recently with, like, his recent album that I forget the name of. I think Justified the-, the name of it. And his other album that came out uh, last year as well. Uh, Yummy was the song. Uh, Yummy was a pretty bad song, not gonna lie. But I mean, Justin Bieber is a pretty, in terms of like getting pop songs popular, in, ten, in, in terms of making a, a like a serviceable pop song, he, he's, he's pretty proficient in that department. And you know, the numbers don't lie. I mean, he's been on Billboard for like 10 years now, 10, 11 years now, ever since like Baby came out. But yeah, I mean, how how do you mess up with like Justin Bieber? I mean, usually with Justin Bieber songs, they're at least like serviceable. Like at least like they're okay to listen to. Like you can listen to it in the background and like not be mad about it. But I mean, DJ Khaled like really ruined Bieber on this album. Like it, it's really bad. And I'm pretty sure uh, Melon Man, uh, Anthony Fantano, Needle Drop uh floss man or whatever uh he's probably going to give this album an, a not good or zero uh in the next few days or so uh so just get ready for that i mean he also gave mgk's tickets to my downfall a not good and again while i'm while even though like i understand like i understand why he gave it a not good at least it was somewhat like at least he tried on it. Like it, it, it didn't seem like it was half-assed or phoned in. At least like MGK like actually wanted to create like an like a decent pop album that could be nostalgic of the early two thousands and really bring pop punk back in, into the mainstream. But with this album, I don't know who it goes for. Like it, it's like he brings like certain Jamaican artists into it, which that's great. I'm that's I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, getting that Jamaican audience, but. I mean, I mean, 
Khaled is just like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know whose audience is anymore. You know, like I really don't. I'm pretty sure he, like it, that he he gets his uh, downloads from streams. Anyways, I'm pretty sure like he gets like machines to play his his songs, and it goes number one because of the amount of streams and downloads that he gets from machines. But anyways, uh, I've I've been too busy, so I'm sorry that I couldn't really actually give you a weekly a weekly pick. But uh, that will change in the next coming weeks. I'm sure of it. Uh, but anyways, that's all the time I have. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Type in the Edge Tucker Podcast on the YouTube on the YouTube search bar. You'll find it in a jiffy. Uh, click the bell icon for notifications in the future, so you can continue listening and watching this podcast as well. And uh, with that, I'll end it. So thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you guys on Thursday. And Thursday, we'll talk more about the Madrid Open and hopefully more tennis as well. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.